Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix Special Nutrition Therapy Series. This is the midweek release where we dive into the approaches, practices, dietary theories, and healing foods that have been used in the most successful practices across the globe and throughout history. Today, I'm diving back into the archives to hopefully bring us a bit of relief in these stressful and unusual times. This is a podcast that I recorded with my friend and fellow nutritionist, Trudy Scott, on the topic of GABA. In a time of great unrest and potential unknowns, we and many of our clients and patients may be experiencing some anxiety. So we on the team at the Functional Nutrition Alliance thought this particular episode could provide some keys to relief. So let's roll back to this replay of episode number 63 and the reminder of how to find our natural calm. Hello, this is Trudy Scott, and today we'll be mapping GABA on the 15-Minute Matrix. Welcome to the 15-Minute Matrix. I'm Andrea Nakayama, functional medicine nutritionist and your host. This is the podcast that brings you bite-sized insights and lessons on how to use the most important tool in functional medicine and functional nutrition. Today on the 15-Minute Matrix, I'll be talking with my very wise friend, Trudy Scott. Food mood expert Trudy Scott is a certified nutritionist on a mission to educate and empower anxious women so they can find nutritional solutions for their anxiety and stress. She is known for her expertise in the use of targeted individual amino acids, the social anxiety condition pyroluria, and the harmful effects of benzodiazepines. Trudy is the author of The Anti-Anxiety Food Solution, How the Foods You Eat Can Help You Calm Your Anxious Mind, Improve Your Mood, and End Cravings, and she is the host of the Anxiety Summit, now in its fourth season, and called A Bouquet of Hope. Trudy is passionate about sharing these powerful nutritional tools because she experienced the results firsthand, finding complete resolution of her anxiety and panic attacks. Because of this, she's also made it a mission to teach nutrition and mental health professionals, sharing all the recent research and how-to steps so they too can educate and empower their clients and patients. And since understanding GABA is one of the ways we can find relief and remedy, I'm eager to dive in and bring you up to speed on just a taste of what Trudy has to offer. Welcome, Trudy. I'm so excited to have you here on the 15-Minute Matrix. I am really excited to be here, too, to share about GABA. GABA. Yay, we're talking about GABA. So GABA is a neurotransmitter or a chemical in the brain. We're right here in the hormone, neurohormone node of the functional nutrition matrix. Tell us a little bit more about it and what it's known for. It's a calming neurotransmitter. It's also an amino acid that can act as a precursor for this calming neurotransmitter called GABA, and it stands for gamma amino butyric acid. 
And it is actually the main inhibitory or calming neurotransmitter in the central nervous system. Interestingly enough, it was actually discovered in the brain only in 1950. Hmm. And Eugene Roberts was the scientist who discovered it. And I actually had the pleasure of having a conversation with him few years ago to ask him about GABA because one of the big controversies is with using GABA as a supplement is that it can't possibly work because it can't get through the blood-brain barrier. And this was something that he actually reported in his early discoveries. And I'm excited to share that hopefully later on in the discussion, we can talk about why that may not be the case. And anyone who's actually tried GABA themselves can attest that if they have low GABA levels, GABA does actually work. So it's very interesting. We certainly have a lot more to learn. And I've been delving into the research and working with clients using GABA for many, many years. And I'm just a huge fan. I love that you're talking to us about this subject, Trudy, because you are so avid about the research and you're also putting it to the test in clinical applications. So you mentioned that there are people who have low GABA. Can we sort of head over to the left side or the story portion of the matrix and think about whether there are particular antecedents that lead to low GABA production or levels and then move into the triggers that might actually cause that to happen over a lifetime? Some of the triggers could be nutritional deficiencies. Hmm. So if you have some of the deficiencies in some of the precursors that are needed to make GABA, for example, low zinc Mm. is very common, low vitamin B6, low magnesium. These are all nutrients that are needed to make GABA. And if you happen to be low in those levels, which could be as a result of leaky gut, it could be as a result of some kind of food sensitivity that is causing leaky gut. It could just be simply high stress levels. It could be over-exercising. It could be high sugar consumption. All of these are known to deplete zinc levels, for example. If we don't have those precursors, that's going to possibly contribute to low GABA levels. Another reason could be hormone imbalances. And we've got to think what's downstream from that. Is someone not getting healthy fats in their diet? Are they not breaking down the protein that they're eating? One of the main precursors for making our neurotransmitters are amino acids that we get from food. So if someone's eating a healthy diet, and I'm an advocate of quality grass-fed red meat, wild salmon, pastured eggs and chicken as good sources of protein, if someone is eating those foods and they have low zinc, this may lead to low hydrochloric acid, which is then not going to enable them to break down those proteins in order to provide the body with the zinc. And the iron is also important as a cofactor for making these neurotransmitters. And then we're not getting enough of these raw materials in order to make our own neurotransmitters. So there's many possible causes. Those are just a few. We know that GABA is closely tied to progesterone. Mm. So if we've got issues with progesterone production as we're going into perimenopause, that could cause low GABA levels. And this is something that I see very commonly in my community of women that I work with is that this anxiety, this physical anxiety, this is the type of anxiety that we see with low GABA is often as a result of going into perimenopause or when someone has a hormonal 
imbalances going on, whether it is in puberty or going into perimenopause or going into menopause. I love that you're really bringing this back to what I would call the full body systems, right? We're seeing how all these things impact each other. And you're talking about some of these downstream impacts of having low levels of GABA. If we look at that central or soup portion of the matrix, right in the center, that starburst, is the anxiety something you're seeing then impact the GI or the immune and inflammatory balance or oxidative stress? Is it this round robin that you're seeing that's often in conjunction with those low levels of GABA? It's a two-way street. So we've got the gut that has got the microbiome is incredibly diverse in terms of making GABA levels, actually, in terms of making serotonin. So if we have the microbiome that's out of balance, we are possibly going to affect our GABA levels. There's actually research showing that lactobacillus rhamnosus actually boosts GABA levels and lowers cortisol levels. Mm. We've got a really interesting paper that was published at some research event where they found that we have this type of bacteria called GABAvorus which actually eats GABA, Hmm. and we don't know what the implications of that is. Is, Does it mean that if we are taking supplemental GABA, we're feeding this bacteria called GABAvorus, or does it mean that our levels are low because this GABAvorus is eating up our natural GABA levels? So we don't really know enough about this yet, but the gut is definitely a factor. We know that there's a big immune connection to mental health and levels of neurotransmitters. It's a vicious circle and it's a two-way street. It may be that the low GABA is impacting gut levels. We know certainly that people with IBS have visceral pain in the gut and GABA has been shown to ease some of that physical pain. It definitely works both ways. Take us into that research you were talking about regarding the blood-brain barrier and whether the GABA should be able to cross or not, and what the most recent studies are showing us in that regard. A lot of people will say GABA can't possibly work used orally because it can't cross the blood-brain barrier. And then you'll also hear a lot of practitioners say, well, if it does cross the blood-brain barrier, it's because you have a leaky blood-brain barrier. Right. And we don't know for sure if either of those are true. We do know that it does work for people who have low GABA levels. One of the main signs of having low GABA is this physical anxiety. So you'll have this physical tension. And this is different from low serotonin anxiety, which is the the mental anxiety where you have the worry in the head and the ruminating thoughts and the fears. With low GABA, it's very physical. So you'll feel it with those stiff and tense muscles, Hmm. the tension. You may have tension headaches as well. And what we do know from older research is that there are GABA receptors all over the body. It's not just the fact that it may be getting into the brain. We've got GABA receptors in the muscles. So this is why we might feel that relaxation in our muscles as soon as we take GABA. We've actually got GABA receptors in the female reproductive system. We've Mm. got them in the pancreas. There's a lot of research showing GABA is helping with diabetes, and this could be because of the receptors in the pancreas. So this is older studies. But more recent research has shown that there may be other mechanisms 
that are at play here when it comes to GABA getting into the brain. Now, we don't know if it gets into the brain, if that's why it's calming, but there's certainly some questions about how it goes in. And there was actually a paper that was published in 2015. They used oral GABA. It was a human study. And they found that when people took the oral GABA, they were better able to prioritize planned actions. Mm. And a great example is driving. Think of driving down the highway. You've got cars coming behind you. You've got cars overtaking. You've got cars changing lanes. You've got an off-ramp that you have to go up to. You may have to slow down because of cars. So you've got all of these decisions that you're having to make. And when you think about that, that could be like an overwhelming situation. It could also be a fearful situation. You're sort of tense. You're holding on the steering wheel tight. And what happened in this study, they found that when these participants were using GABA, they were able to make better decisions. They were able to prioritize the planned actions in a better way. And in this particular paper, they said they addressed this controversial effect about GABA. And they said there are controversial findings about GABA getting through the blood-brain barrier. They're saying it's tightly sealed and it obviously shouldn't allow the GABA in because of the size of the GABA particles. However, Recent studies have demonstrated that the blood-brain barrier is much more dynamic than assumed in the past, and I'm quoting from the paper, and some passage of solutes may occur by transcytosis, carrier-mediated transport, or simple diffusion into the brain. What they're saying is that we're far from reaching a conclusion about how this works, and This is something that I ask a lot of people when I'm interviewing them. And I remember interviewing Dr. Josh Friedman. He's a nutritional psychologist. So he has traditionally worked with people with psychology and talk therapy, added in nutrient therapy into his practice because he found it was much more effective. And I said to him, what do you think about GABA and this whole theory of it not working because of this uh, blood-brain barrier issue? And he said, GABA works. It doesn't cause harm. And that's all I care about. I don't really care how it works. Now, some of us like me like to look at the research and try and figure out the mechanisms. But until we know for sure, I think the most important thing is that it is a tool in our toolbox to help with that physical anxiety. And it does work. And as I said earlier, if someone uses it and can feel those results, that's the most important thing. We want to give our clients hope and we want to give them results so they can feel good right away. Absolutely. So when you say it does work, does that mean that it works in reducing anxiety and or are there other symptoms that tend to resolve with its use? Many symptoms. And there is more and more research that is showing how far reaching the implications of supporting low GABA levels are. So certainly that fear, more often the physical fear. So you'll feel that tension in your gut. You may feel that butterflies feeling in your stomach. So anything that's physical, as well as that relaxation in the muscles. So your tension, your physical tension in the body goes down. So if the anxiety is driving that, it's going to definitely help that. And that can be in the daytime. A lot of people have insomnia and they will lie in bed very tense. And if we address the low GABA levels, that tension lying in bed and affecting their sleep can mitigate so they now can sleep better. There's actually a ton of research now showing how GABA is very beneficial for diabetes Mm. and for Mm -hmm. healing from diabetes. There's a new study that actually just came out in the last month showing how it's really beneficial for supporting the pancreas. 
whereas there's research showing it heals a damaged gut that has mm. been damaged by alcohol consumption. Mm. And we know glutamine does this. Right. And glutamine can convert to a little bit of GABA as well, so it can be calming. I mentioned the visceral pain when someone has IBS. And there's two very interesting animal studies that show that GABA protects from fluoride toxicity. One of them... Wow was looking at an animal study of hypothyroidism, and they found that when the GABA was used with these rats, the hypothyroidism completely reversed and the TSH actually went back to normal. So that's pretty amazing when you consider how much fluoride we have in our diets and how much we're exposed to and, and the toxicity issues. And then a more recent study by the same authors found that it protected the liver from fluoride damage. So it has far-reaching implications. And I think the fact that we're getting so much resurgence in the interest in the research, as more research comes out, we're going to find a lot more. So before we let you go today, Trudy, let's talk about how to, you mentioned some of the precursor nutrients, and I just want to kind of double click on that, have you say those again. But in terms of supplementation, I know there's oral, there's liposomal. What are your favorites and what dosing? And are there other ways to increase our GABA makeup by doing other things that might be considered diet and lifestyle modification? Great question. So the precursors are, for example, zinc, vitamin B6, magnesium, iron is needed. If someone has an MTHFR polymorphism that's expressing, they may need additional methylfolate. So any of those kind of precursors are important. As far as supplementation goes, I find that the most effective way for GABA to work is for it to be sublingual or if it's an, a capsule to be opened up onto the tongue and mm -hmm. held in the mouth. And I think that's where a lot of practitioners are finding that it doesn't work because they're having people swallow the capsule and having it sublingually seems to work. Right. And I'll have people do that when they're doing a trial because we always have people look at the questionnaire, rate their symptoms on a scale of one to 10, and then do a trial to figure out their ideal amount for each person because it can be very different. If someone mm. is very sensitive, they may need a very small amount. If someone does well with normal amounts of supplements, they can do with a typical starting dose, which is about 125 milligrams. Now, I find a lot of people hear about GABA, they rush off to the health store and they buy 500 or 750 milligrams GABA, and that's way too much as a starting dose for the average person. So starting really low, and that could be 125 milligrams a few times a day and always in between meals, so it doesn't compete for absorption with the other amino acids. And then going up based on that. So seeing how the symptoms improve. If they improve two or three notches, then we go up. If they improve, then we go up again. And if we're not getting any added benefits, then we go back to the prior dose. And then adjusting it as a person needs it. The other area that you mentioned is what else can we do? So certainly any kind of stress reduction technique, getting out in nature, meditation, heart math, anything that is going to reduce stress levels can help raise GABA levels. And there's a ton of research showing how yoga and meditation can actually boost our GABA levels. So doing that in conjunction with dietary changes, we've always got to focus on the diet, of course, and then using the GABA supplements, ideally short-term, while we're fixing the diet, while we're sorting out lifestyle and stressful levels in the life, then we should be able to stop the GABA. I feel every practitioner should be using GABA. One very clear benefit that I didn't mention is the 
self-medication aspect of low GABA levels. And when you have low GABA, as well as that anxiety and those other areas that I talked about, the pain and the protective effects of GABA, GABA helps us not self-medicate with alcohol or with sugar when we are stressed because we will go to something that is going to give us short-term relief. And what GABA can do as well as easing the anxiety is stop that self-medication and it can make it easier for people to transition into a healthier way of eating and a healthier lifestyle. I love it. So brilliant, Trudy. Thank you so much for shining a light on this for all the practitioners listening in. I know I love my nighttime GABA, so I'm glad to hear about (laughs) how it can be supporting me and bring a little bit more information into the practice that I already have in place. So thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your wisdom. Thank you so much for having me. It was a great interview. I loved it. The 15-Minute Matrix is brought to you by me, Andrea Nakayama, and the Functional Nutrition Alliance. The 15-Minute Matrix team includes my son, Gilbert Nakayama, on sound production, Renee Hunt, Natalie Merrill, and Christine Shook. You can visit us and hear more episodes at 15minutematrix.com. And if you'd like to be notified each time there is a new podcast episode ready and waiting for you, just head on over to 15minutematrix.com forward slash notify. We'll be sure to notify you in your inbox with a short reminder that a new episode is ready for you. You also have an open invitation to email us. We'd love to hear from you and we want to know who you'd like to hear on the podcast and what you'd like to see mapped on the 15 minute matrix to email us. You can go to ask at 15 minute matrix.com. That's ask at one five minute matrix.com.